Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Jonah. It tells uh, part of the story. When we hear Jonah, we, we often think of the piece about when he has been placed in the belly of a large fish or whale, if you will. We don't often think about what the rest of the story might be. The rest is that after he was delivered from his travail, he went and he did what God had asked him to. And that was to share a proclamation with the people of the city of Nineveh. So let us listen to see what God will speak to us about. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim it to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out, to, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going about a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and God did not do that. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, and it is the start of Jesus' ministry and how he makes himself known in the world. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And as he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus. The word of the Lord. Preferences. Do you have preferences? I think we all do. We have things that we want to do. Consider fishing. You may not be a fisher person, but you again, then again, you may. There is a net <clears throat> that you can cast in fishing, and there is pole fishing, different ways for doing that. 
And then among those people who use polls, there are all sorts of choices. You can just do the simple poll, or you can use some sort of reel. But if you use a reel, is it a spinning reel or is it a fly casting reel? These are serious issues, really. I'm sure more than one argument has been made about them in some place, sometime, by somebody. Preferences in our life are important, and they come to us in different ways. Sometimes, though, we have to see things in a new way. A number of years ago on vacation, I took one of our sons on a deep sea excursion. It was not a charter boat. It, well, it was one of those uh, boats where you go out into the uh, Gulf Stream with uh, about a hundred of your new best friends that you've never met before. We left out of a, a, a small port on, in eastern North Carolina, and as long as we were inland, as long as we were within the inland waterway, we were fine. But as soon as we hit open water, it was not a harsh sea, by the way, but as soon as we hit open water, there was a slight low and rise and fall. And I knew at that moment it was going to be a long boat ride. <clears throat> I, won't be, I won't give you all of the details, but one of the crew did come up to me and told me to go up to the, uh, the rail, and he said, um, look at the horizon. Look as far out there and fix your, vo fix, fix your, your eyes out there at a point on the horizon. And if you do that, then your stomach will be distracted and you'll feel better. And so I did. He came by sometime later and he said, <clears throat> is your stomach feeling more settled now that you've been looking at the horizon? And I said, no. <laughs> yeah, he said, it doesn't always work. But it's important that you look ahead. Ah, Look ahead, because eventually we did get back to dry land, and I've not been on that kind of excursion again. When we look ahead, when we look to the horizon, we have the ability to gain perspective, to be able to see things that are different, that we might not have seen before. When we look to the horizon, when we look and gain perspective, we see relationships and distances that might be right in front of us, but somehow are seen in a new way. Perspective. It's been around for, for all, forever almost, but it was not known or identified until the Renaissance, some five, six hundred years ago. And it was really important in art to be able to look at a fixed point because prior to that, when you drew, you would simply draw, when there was painting or artwork, it would be either left or right, up or down. There was no depth back and forth. But then somebody figured out, and this is, a, this is an example of it, that if you put a fixed point out there, you would see 
like you were going to the end of the road. You see that? You see? It's two dimensions, but there is an illusion of a third dimension, and it's called perspective. It allows us to see in ways that we didn't see before. In fact, Leonardo da Vinci, the great um, genius of the Renaissance, described it this way. There are three aspects to it. The first has to do with the size of objects as they seem to diminish according to distance. The further you go down, the smaller they are. That's the way it is when we're outside, looking down the street or down the road. Things further away are smaller. The second element is the manner in which the colors change the further away they are from the eye. Things get a little more indistinct. And the third aspect is objects are not finished as clearly the further away you are. And that's the way it is in life. We see greater things that are indistinct, but they're out there, and we hold on to them. It's a new way of seeing. Da Vinci didn't create it, but it, it, and that principle had been there since the creation of time because we understand perspective in, in reality, but putting it into art, it had to be discovered. A new way of seeing, a new way of, of understanding what is there. Perspective lets us in our lives, in our relationships, see time and distance and connections in new possibilities. The scripture readings today are about gaining perspective. How is it that we see where we are and then we might be called to go someplace else? Both Jonah and the Mark reading are about that. In addition, we'll be singing a hymn in just a few minutes. And it's not one we normally sing, so I, and I understand you're going to have comments about it. But the words are beautiful. The words are powerful. They cast their nets in Galilee just off the hill of brown, such happy, simple fisherfolk before the Lord came down. The first time I heard this hymn, I was attending a church his history conference in Gunnison, Colorado, of all places, Western Colorado, the middle of the Rockies. And the words captivated my heart. I did not know the story behind them at the time. They were written by William Alexander Percy in 1924. Percy was from a family in Mississippi. His family owned land, and in the 1920s, to own land meant you owned wealth. There wasn't a whole lot of money around then. It was also an era of tremendous racial violence. Percy had gone to serve in World War I, and he had seen the devastation caused by that. And he came back, when he came back to Mississippi and after World War I in the early 1920s, he saw lynchings, and he saw the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, and he knew that he did not want to be part of that. In 1928, his hometown of Greenville, Mississippi, flooded in one of the worst natural disasters of American history, and Percy was asked to lead part of the recovery effort by President Hoover. And through that, he showed courage and commitment and justice 
for people who had been displaced. Percy's family had several high-profile suicides in it and a lot of turmoil and trouble along those sorts of personal relationships. The point is that even though he was privileged, he knew pain in life, and he had experienced disappointment, and he had witnessed chaos in the world, but he had faith in God and Christ. He was a Christian of the Catholic persuasion, and he used his faith in his writing to describe the power and the wonder of following Jesus. What perspective do I have? Contented, peaceful fisher folk before the Lord came down, the peace of God that filled their hearts brimful and broke them too. Percy had perspective on who he was, on who God was, and on what he was to do in the world. And this perspective gave him an understanding of his purpose. In fact, as we begin to gain perspective, as we begin to see depth and complexity in relationships as they are going on in the world around us, we can begin to express our purpose in intentional ways with clarity and conviction. The story of Jonah is one in which we can learn how perspective allows us to claim a purpose. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, chapter 1 of that book, and God told Jonah to say to the people of Nineveh there would be judgment for the ways in which they had lived. Repent, or you will be destroyed. But Jonah didn't want to share that message. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't like the people of Nineveh, and he was afraid that if he went and told them that, they would not deal with him in a good way. And he feared how he would be received. And so he flees, and you know the story. He flees on a boat, and he's thrown overboard by his shipmates, but he's taken up in the belly of a whale. The Lord seeks to do that, not to destroy, to destroy him or to punish him, but to preserve him. And he sings a hymn of thanksgiving. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me, Jonah writes. Weeds were wrapped around my head in the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bar closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up from that pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Jonah claimed his purpose. He understood that he was to hear this message again, and the second time he went, and he delivered it to the people of Nineveh. And they heard what Jonah said. 
And because of what Jonah said, they trusted God. They believed in God. And God looked upon actions that he had declared. And God said, I will not destroy these people. They had life. The fishermen that Jesus came upon also encountered a new perspective. Jesus said, I am going to show you how to live life in a very different way. It won't be simply casting your nets for your own provision. It will be casting nets so other people can see and understand God's work in the world. It is a way of sharing God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's power, not simply with your own, but with other people everywhere. Cast your nets. It was a new vision, and it ultimately gave them a new purpose. It challenged them because they had to find a new way to make a life. They had to find their way in the world but they did. Our purpose is clear when we see it in perspective. The place it took them, though, was very different than they intended. Young John, who trimmed the flapping sail, homeless in Patmos, died. Peter, who hauled the teeming net, head down, was crucified. Christian tradition holds that John was banished to the Greek island of Patmos late in his life for his ministry and there wrote letters and the revelation. That's what the tradition says. Peter ended up in Rome and was executed by crucifixion. Tradition holds that he said he did not want to die as Jesus had died, for Jesus did die by crucifixion. And so the Roman authorities turned his cross upside down. Yet, in their lives and in their deaths, both Peter and John made known that they were followers of Jesus. And in doing that, they shared grace with all of us. Percy concludes his poem, The peace of God, it is no peace, but strife close in the sod. Yet brothers and sisters, Pray for but one thing, the marvelous peace of God. Perspective gives us clarity of purpose. I must confess, though, that I have some apprehension because I don't want to follow Jesus in the way Percy's hymn lays it out with an outcome like John and Peter had. It would be my preference to avoid such challenges. And realistically, We live in a time and we are under a system of government where the likelihood of that happening is not that great. But others in other parts of the world do face those challenges. And we, in our own way as disciples of Jesus, must find ways to speak the truth that we know of God's calling, the perspective that we have of God's work into the world so that That love of God is known. 
But it's so easy to let our preferences get in the way of that purpose. Do we fish with a net or with a rod and reel or a pole? Do we worship at 11 o'clock? Do we do things the way we've always done them? We may have preferences that set things in certain ways, but we have to be able to expand to respond to God's world and work with new creations. We must navigate our preferences that are in the world and not choose them simply because they are comfortable or because we've always done it that way. We must allow the perspective of God's work not only in our lives but in the lives of other people and in the lives of all time, what has been past, what is now, and what will to come. We must let God be at work in that. We will not all be called to do what Peter and John did, nor are we all called to take Jonah's journey, but we are all invited to follow God in Jesus. And when we do that, when we follow God in Jesus, we come to peace, a marvelous peace of God. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Not simply absence of noise that's going on, not simply the reduction or the elimination of warfare, not simply what we fear, but the peace of God, the wholeness of God, the, the presence of God might be with us. While it might be comfortable to hold on to our preference, preferences, we are called to allow God to work through us so that we can see down the, vi- the road, across to the horizon of what might come next. The challenge is finding ways that perspective allows God's clarity of purpose to define our preferences so that we may live that marvelous peace of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.